0: ends our interview with the coastal star fae of the domain of light and their fascinating role in starfish communities. Coming up, a new episode of Forfind on C-L-E-E. Now on C-L-E-E, Forfind. Later, a new episode of Pixels and Pixies, how video games influence the fae.
1: Many strange creatures have suddenly appeared in our world, integrating into our environments, communities, and throughout time. What are they? How did they get here? What do they do? The Order of the Ballyraven has been commissioned to answer these questions and more. Created by the illustrious Kingdom of Neri from the neutral Fae Dominion of Order, the Ballyraven has interviewed those of the four realms, local flora, fauna, and even humankind, to discover and understand these entities, their histories, and how they influence their surroundings. For better care of our fellow Tellurians, this is a comprehensive study on elusive and fanciful beasts. Episode 4, A Song in the Forest, Tonight on Forefend, the Order of Ballyraven exposes the Woodland Creeners and their impressive hunting methods.
0: It was raining outside bit chilly, a really horrible day when I think back on it. As soon as I got home, my cat slipped out the door. We didn't let her outside because our dog had gotten hit by a car and our last cat was taken by the coyotes, so we just wanted to help keep her safe. We live in a very rural area beside a good stretch of forest and a long field. Every time she escaped, she ran there, which was better than the road because it was busier than normal, especially around five o'clock. So at the end of the long day, I was chasing my cat through the grass, drenched and covered in mud. She looked back and saw that I was still following and bolted towards the tree line. I followed after her, yelling and yelling for her to stop and come back. She ignored me, as usual. I saw her jump into some thick brush to disappear, and that was it. I was so aggravated. I went back home and got a raincoat, boots, and a flashlight. Walking back to where I saw her last, I heard someone start shouting. It was was basically just someone yelling, hey. There were a couple of kids who play around here, just inside the woods, so I thought it might be them, even though it would have been strange that they were out in this weather so late. It did sound like them, though, and I could make out the bright colors of some of their toys on the ground, so I called back. You better get home or your mom will be mad. I yelled at them. Two voices responded with different yet similar haze. They sounded maybe 20 feet from each other, and a little deeper in the woods than before. Confused, I asked, what are you guys doing out here? The next thing I heard was, help, help, help. Each time the word was very short, almost like it was a recording being played over and over. It was, uh, well, it was unsettling. I didn't say anything for a while, I, I just stood there and I listened. One voice did the hey thing again, exactly like before. I mean, exactly but it was too real, it was no recording. Anyway, I ran to the neighbor's house. I should have ran into the woods in case it was the kids, but it didn't feel right. When I told my neighbor what had happened, she had this strange look on her face, Though I probably sounded crazy to her, at least very alarmed. She told me both her boys were home. She convinced me to call 911 and I told them everything, but, but they didn't find anything or anybody nothing out of the ordinary whatsoever. I felt horrible. I wasted their time and I felt pretty silly. They probably thought it was lying. I also felt bad that I'd been too afraid to go look for myself into the woods, but Hey, it was dark. It was raining. I went home and I turned on all the lights, I told my wife about it. She thought it was all the combination of the wind and my tiredness playing tricks on me. Nevertheless, I didn't think I slept much that night. Good news, however, was that our cat came back late that night. She scratched and screamed at the door until I let her in. The noise scared me a bit. With everything that had happened earlier, I think she saw something outside that night too, because she has never tried to get out since. Not since that night.
1: The young woodland crooner wakes in the arms of their mother, held tight and warm with the company of siblings, high in treetop nests. Males, staying close to their mate until the next courting season, check in on the family frequently, bringing food, staving off predators, and returning young if they stray too far from home. This expectant crooner male watches from several feet away, a medium-sized species of Bigfoot, He is large for his kind, weighing 190 pounds and standing 6 feet tall. His size, however, is not the reason he is a favorite among his kind, but his voice. Hunch, anxious, he leans to peer closer. His face is more monkey-like than other Bigfoot kinds, though his green, wavering eyes mark him as more intelligent than a chimp his face twisted in a furrowed squint. His features are deep-set with a pronounced brow, long nostrils, and an underbite, covered with leathery, wrinkled skin. Although he is not old, surrounding his chin, cheekbones, and brow begins a coat of dense, gray hair. On his back, and all males, dark gray vertical stripes reside. As he ages, this hair will gradually darken. Leaning back, he leaves to check on another mate. In this Bigfoot species, 80% of females do not survive the birthing process. Tragic, their large broods keep the species going nonetheless. This family of five was not one of the lucky ones. Cold and lifeless, she passed away shortly after their arrival. The cries of the younglings alert their not-so-distant father that they are cold, lonely, hungry. Taking them two at a time, he leaps from tree to tree into the depths of the forest, where his troop hides. On his return, he places a single, large leaf upon her face. Her body is left in the trees, where it is scavenged and disposed of naturally. Even if she had survived the risky event, fathers are the primary caretaker of Kroener Young, taking offspring with him four to six weeks after birth at the latest. A male's troop cares for offspring as a group for the first couple of months, taking turns hunting, grooming members, guarding, sleeping, and feeding young. Meals are prepared for offspring twice a day, consisting of food chewed into a paste, fruits, leaves, and meats pushed into the mouth. In troops preparing for hibernation, they excessively feed young, fattening them and eating less themselves. Members may only intermittently hibernate to care for young and nourish themselves. Once youths are able to awkwardly navigate branches, they are taken to the forest floor. Weak and inexperienced, they must be taken from great heights for their safety and to begin their education. Their fathers temporarily leave their troop to raise them alone. Males with shared mates may split offspring equally. Those with too many young will share responsibilities with those who have none. On their first night, fathers make his sleeping den. Offspring help dig the seven-foot, slightly curving structure, learning how to construct one themselves. While woodland crooners usually only utilize these dens when between troops, the group shares and returns to this one each night, forming a tight huddle in its bottom and covering themselves in a thin layer of dirt. From the next morning forward, children accompany him on daily tasks, hanging from his back or remaining at his side, observing and learning how to hunt and mark territory with scent and bark scratches. At first, they are unable to keep up, causing him to carry stragglers in one arm so he can go about his day. Several weeks later, they are able to follow closely and explore on their own, walking on all fours like a gorilla or running on two. By midsummer, the male ceases to provide food for his children. They have watched him forage and hunt many times and are expected to provide for themselves. Some of the less confident and adventurous youths remain on the forest floor, chewing on leaves, branches, and low-hanging fruit. Hunger and satisfaction, however, drives them to also try to hunt for sweeter fruits and larger meals. Seeing a bird in a tree, one of the small crooners stills. In a flash, she leaps incredibly high into the air, gripping bark with clawed hands and jumping from branch to branch. Fumbling on a limb, the Bigfoot still successfully grabs her prey. Envious, her siblings attempt to steal the catch away, causing her to loosen her grip on the bird. Injured but belligerent, it escapes, dodging more angry hands.
0: Soon... The young are able to reliably catch small game of their own, aptly climb trees, forage, and can react with confidence and speed. The basic necessities covered, their father moves on to the next of his teachings, annual habits and crooner society. In the bounty of fall, the big feet pack on extra weight. At this time, offspring are taught the nuances of group life. Spending their last night in the dirt hovel, their father takes them high into the sturdy tree, acting as an example. He works on weaving branches together and lining them with leaves. The young copy his every action to the best of their ability. A cold, heavy rain impedes their progress. The terrain is slippery with mud, wet moss, and standing water. The group bunches together to keep warm. Sleeping in the unfinished nest, one of the big feet rolls out, falling between a wide gap of branches. He tries to catch himself, but the grasp isn't quick enough to snag a low-lying branch. Young are taught another important tradition in the morning, how to grieve the passing of one of their own. Carrying the body a couple miles from the nest, it is placed in a tree and laid out in a wide branch. The male gathers large fresh leaves from nearby, placing one on the face and gently pressing it flush to the flesh. Handing his leaves to his offspring, he waits for them to follow suit. Once all have paid their respects, the family of four return to finish their nest. That night the youths join their first choir, which is a vocal interaction between troops. Woodland crooners can be heard throughout the forest they inhabit making high-pitched screeching sounds after sunset. At first, a shrill call can be heard, followed by a response. The forced ambience will deaden before the peace is once again broken, by another screech, in another direction. Very social creatures, these conversations occur daily, and can vary between jarring, piercing noises and sweet, song-like melodies. Most resemble bird calls. Chatters can denote wants, emotions, warnings, and location details. Learning from their father, the young Big Feet pick up on words, tones, and rituals over time. They're incapable of generating original statements, responses, and expressing themselves until several months after maturity. They act as a mimic to their parents until then. A popular crooner, his offspring will be more successful in this part of life, inheriting his talent and mannerisms. As soon as snow begins to fall, the woodland crooners retreat from their nests and into the abandoned mining sites, caves, or other underground dwellings. Within these new domiciles, the Big Feet dig deep tunnels or pits that widen out at the bottom. Then they crowd around one another, sleeping atop or beside to share warmth. Hibernation may draw several troops together. Other troops are welcome until space becomes too crowded, then newcomers are chased off. Troops may return to the same hibernation den every year, unless dangers are discovered or their entrances are obscured.
1: Once the ground thaws, the Big Feet leave their underground hovels. At this time, members may try to leave one troop for another, and, after a week or two of overeating, mating season begins. Several males, however, won't be able to participate in courtship this season. A family of four returns to their treetop nest. The winter was rough on their construction, so they must repair and strengthen its walls. Nearing puberty, the youths are louder and behave with more excitement in the first chorus of the year. In the morning, they will go on their first group hunt. Woodland crooners have a unique group hunting method to take down prey much larger than themselves. Each has the extraordinary ability to mimic the voice of other creatures. Often most, the big feet copy the calls of an offspring to its mother before viciously attacking all at once. Utilizing their teeth, weight, and burly fists, most prey are easily overcome. Another tactic the creatures use is to confuse prey, allowing themselves to be seen. The crooner will run deep into the forest checking to make sure it is being pursued. Leading the victim farther in, a second Bigfoot will replace the first, surprising the prey with its nearness and location. Until the end of this hunting method, only one Bigfoot is visible to prey. Each of the group may appear before the target several times and in varying directions. Leading the victim far enough away so that they cannot escape, are disoriented, and at a disadvantage. This species has been known to not only target woodland creatures, wandering pets, and livestock, but humans and humanoid fae. Imitating their voices, the words they try to speak are jumbled, slurred, misspoken, or often other ways. With their high-pitched voices, they are often mistaken for the voices of human women. No matter the catch, Woodland crooners prefer to eat the jugular and throat first. If they have fully engorged on other prey, they may only eat this part, leaving the rest. A feast satiating hibernation hunger, the family has only one part of life left to learn, though they are by far proficient in any area. Taking them to their small group's territorial boundaries, the juveniles are taught the art of perimeter markers. When a crooner claims a section of forest for their troop, they will mark the boundaries with at least three distinct constructs, made and decorated with bones, feathers, hide, wood, stones, flowers, pine cones, and other plants or found items. These structures are scented with every member of the group's musk. Their scent drives away many predators and other, lesser creatures. Sometimes the feet will also take things marked by other, more fearsome Bigfoot species or beasts and add them to their sculptures, warding away the most threatening of enemies. These unique territory markers display creativity and a craft that is absent from many other Bigfoot cultures. After two months of practicing perimeter maintenance and social singing, the male leaves his children to begin life on their own. The two brothers will stay together as a small group until next spring. Males typically travel in groups of four to six, but they are too young and poor vocally to be accepted into a troop, especially while mating season has yet to close. The juvenile female will wander on her own until the summer, Females typically travel in groups of three to four, and, unlike males, they prefer poor singers so that the older, more experienced members stand out and are likely to win over the most appealing mates. Returning to his old troop, the crooner is unanimously accepted back into the fold. The end and the most competitive portion of mating season. At night, males seek out groups of females following their nightly calls and crossing into their territory. Sometimes, the two groups' songs flow together, while other times it is discordant. Complementary couplings may sing together for several hours. If the females like the males' addition to their singing, they will accept the proposition of courting. This acceptance, however, does not mean all mate. The most talented of the male troop performs first, followed by females who would like him as a mate. The male chooses who he prefers from this group. This cycle continues until all females have been paired up, or all males have been paired or denied. Males and females may find all potential partners unsuitable, and take none as a mate. Woodland crooners may take multiple partners if other choices have been very poor or limited. However, it is very rare for males to do so. If a courting troop's performance is especially unappealing, females will chase them out of their territory, throwing rocks and even biting or pushing stubborn individuals out of trees. Woodland cleaners will mate multiple times in a season, repeating the cycle of life. Woodland crooners should only be observed from a distance. Those traversing a crooner's territory should be wary of sounds they hear in the forest. If one of these big feet are met, individuals should go in the opposite direction of calls, heading towards a clearing where the big feet do not have as much of an advantage. Those that have survived the lure of one of these beasts recall hearing the voice of their loved ones, or the voice of one in need. Which always seems to grow farther and farther away. Most recount the experience as not only haunting, but strangely alluring, hypnotic. Twenty-four hours after the encounter, the individual remembers it almost as a dream, recalling feeling drowsy. After our research gathering, non-combative Fey communities near woodland crooner territories have strict rules restricting their access to deep woodlands. Some Fay have superstitious rituals or festivals said to ward away the evil beings, keeping them at bay and from harm. All, however, have ghastly tales of encounters and about why one should never go into the woods alone, especially after the sun begins its descent. These stories increase in number every month. This has been a look into the life of a woodland crooner. When more information is gathered on these fascinating big feet, we will revisit them. Next time, the Order of the Ballyraven heads north in search of large Antarctic beasts that can grow up to the size of a whale. A season special, the Order reveals their findings on the five unique species of Ninian after one long, chilling expedition. Find out next month on Colonizers of the South Pole. Until then, remember to care for yourself and those we share our land with. Good night.
0: That was episode four of Forfin. Thank you for listening. If you would like to help fund or amplify research and literacy in elusive beasts, the Order of the Ballyraven is now accepting new members through the Ballyraven Patreon page. Next, the premiere of the docuseries Pixels to Pixies. But first, thank you to
1: Bally Ballyraven, Patreons of the Order, and listeners like you. Thank you for listening to
0: CLEE, your center for universal fake culture and entertainment. This is Woogie Niggle Twigglesnap signing off.